beautiful Friday afternoon in my home office recording the seventh episode of our uh, podcast, which is called Trek Online Bible School. And I am sharing with you Romans chapter seven. Romans is a powerful book that gives uh, solid theology about salvation and the condition of mankind. And uh, I trust you've been enjoying the first six chapters, which uh, each episode covered one chapter. Uh, I'm pleased to bring you chapter seven, which is a groundbreaking chapter for a lot of people who, well, I should say for all of us, because it talks about the sin that all of us struggle with even though we are born from above and uh, set free from sin, there is still a human nature in us that wants to sin and wants to break God's law. And we live next to it, if you will, uh, inside our bodies. So there are two natures in us, and Paul is going to uh, develop this uh, truth in chapter 7 right on the heels of chapter 6, where he told his listeners that uh, they were dead to the law of God. They had also died to sin. And you might say, dead to the law of God? What does that mean? It means that the law of God, which people assumed was meant to bring them spiritual life, actually ended up bringing them spiritual death because every time the commandment uh, faced a person, they realized that uh, they couldn't keep it and the desires that were stirred up by that commandment uh, were everything against God. So Paul is mentioning that here in chapter 7 and he's uh, pointing out how they had died to the law, and he's talking to believers, of course, people who were in Christ, and he showed them how they were no longer under the law, and it was a a death that had taken place in them as they were united with Christ, and now they are resurrected to a brand new life, free from uh, accountability to the law, and I'll, I'll qualify that a little bit later because a lot of people get freaked out when they, they hear these things. But the truth is that where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. And that is a hard thing to accept because we all want to somehow atone for our sins, and we can't. That is one of the, the toughest things to accept for people who are, you know, decent people, they want to impress God with their pure heart and wanting to do what is right by him. And so deep inside, they have this motivation to atone for their sins so that God will know that they are sincere about him. And he basically is teaching us that uh, he loves us and we can't do it. 
and if it weren't for his grace, none of us could be in God's family. None of us could be considered his children. So he ends chapter 6 with a very uh, well-known scripture that all of us uh, Christians could probably quote. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That is what we are paid every time we sin. We are paid death. And since our simple understanding of death means that our spirit separates from our body, we realize that every time we sin, that doesn't happen to us. So what does the Bible mean by the wages of sin is death? Well, it can mean ultimately at the end of our life, uh, through the process of sinning and practicing sin, we will experience not only a physical death, but a spiritual death as well, which would be separation from God for all eternity. But uh, did you know that Christians can sin and we still uh, get paid the wages that, uh, that sin earns? And that is death. Paul talks about uh, if we give ourselves over to sin, even as believers, if we choose to sin, Uh, after having been given the knowledge of the truth, after having been forgiven, after having been taught the truth, then it leads to death if we continue practicing it. And that death uh, comes in many forms. Uh, I'm convinced that that death could be the death of a marriage. It could be the death of a family. It could be the death of a business could be the death of a, a business relationship, could be the, the death of, of so many different things that, that we would genuinely grieve over and genuinely suffer from if we continue practicing sin. Now, God has made his grace available so that when we sin, we can find immediate cleansing and go on as if we had never sinned, but people, Christians, those who are born again, I'm not talking about people who call themselves a Christian and uh, don't live for God. There is question as to whether they are even born again, but someone who is genuinely born of the Spirit, who has been walking with God, if they choose to sin, uh, they obviously our our initial state is if we stop, we repent, and that means change our mind and turn away from it, uh, you know, then the impact on our lives is going to be far less than if we continue practicing it. So the wages of sin is death. So everyone who practices sin gets paid for it. Okay, uh, and and Jesus said, if not Jesus, it was God, the Father, who said, "Sin is pleasure for a season," and you will find that sin is very pleasurable, but it is only pleasurable for a short time, and then the consequences uh, come home to roost, and we have to live with them, 
uh, we can be forgiven, but consequences often are with us the rest of our lives. So that's something to keep in mind as we uh, continue on in this book, this letter to the Romans about our freedom in Christ. Freedom does not mean living without self-control. Just like freedom in the United States in its purest form would mean that we are free to live the way we want. However, we are expected to exercise self-control and abide by the civic laws of our land and, uh, and the way we treat other people. We are expected to be law-abiding and live at peace with our fellow human beings. And that is true freedom when we respect other people and we recognize their privileges of having the same freedoms that we do and then uh, tr not trying to infringe upon their freedoms. Uh, and of course, this is, this is talking about generally accepted life. We're not talking about abhorrent lifestyles. We're not talking about criminality. We're not talking about things that should be confronted and should be kept from our society. That's a whole different conversation. But right now, we're talking about true freedom. And in Christ, we are free, brothers and sisters. And now Paul is going to talk about how we are free from God's law. And I'm going to have to explain this as we go, because in a previous chapter, uh, Paul said that, uh, you know, a, a typical question would be, well, I mean, if this grace is what God has introduced us into, uh, what about his law? Uh, does it, is it still in effect, uh, or are we doing away with it? And Paul said, hey, he said, if we are in Christ and we are walking in the Spirit or living according to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he said, basically, we will uphold God's law. It's, we won't uh, try and eradicate it from people's lives. We'll uphold it because that is uh, the law is spiritual, and we'll find that here in chapter 7. The law of God is spiritual, but when we live in our uh, sinful flesh, when we live in that uh, leadership, or, or that's what leads our lives, our, our sinful flesh, then we are going to be reaping death when God's law confronts us, because every time we break God's law, we're condemned. So that's something that we need to bear in mind as we move forward here. So the wages of sin is death. But, and see, this is the glorious truth of the gospel. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those of us who have been born of the Spirit have been given the gift of eternal life. That's the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we expect to live forever, not in this same old body, but we will live forever with the Lord. So before we get going into chapter 7, why don't we have a word of prayer, and then we'll follow the Spirit as he leads us in this chapter. <clears throat> Father, we are so thankful 
for what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please open our hearts and our minds to understand what you are trying to teach us. Help us to understand how free we are and how great your grace is. But help us also to understand that loving children would never knowingly continue to practice something that you uh, sent Jesus to die to set us free from. And so I pray for your uh, wisdom and your anointing and your revelation. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's start with verse 1 of Romans chapter 7. Paul says, do you not know, brother, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. This is people who know God's law. Uh, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And that's an interesting statement. But uh, if you stop a moment and think about it, whatever law we're talking about, it only applies to people who are living. As soon as a person dies, uh, law has no effect on them. They are not subject to any law. They have died. So anyway, that's what the point Paul is making here, and and people would have to say, well, yeah, I understand that. And then he goes on to point out, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. And we understand that. We know what adultery is. Adultery is when, in this case, Paul's talking about a wife. So adultery would be if a man's wife uh, meets another man and willingly uh, joins him in uh, sexual intercourse, she has committed adultery and has been unfaithful to her husband. And the law, our laws, are our laws in the land, as well as God's law, would condemn her as an adulteress. <clears throat> she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, this is Paul, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. And, and we all understand that. We understand widowhood. We understand a widower, that if a man, in this case, loses his wife, she dies, then, um, uh, forgive me, this is the other way around. Paul taught that if this woman's husband dies, then she's released from that law, and if she marries another man and has sexual relations with him, she's no longer an adulteress. She simply remarried because her first husband has died, and the law uh, regarding her first husband, she's released from that. And so everyone understands that, that there are times when we are released from the demands of a law, okay? So in verse 4, Paul says, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. And to understand this, you have to remember Paul's argument uh, with regards to water baptism and how it was depicting what has happened to us 
as we put faith in the Lord Jesus, turn from our sins, and we were born again by the Spirit of God, we were united with Christ. And in that uh, ceremony of water baptism, it pictures a life before uh, Christ, a life after we receive Christ, then we go under the water and we have died with Christ. And then we, when we are brought up from the water, that is a picture of us being resurrected in Christ. And so Paul is saying that is what has happened to every one of you. He said, don't you know that everyone baptized into the name of Jesus was baptized into his death? And this is what he's trying to get across to these people, that just as Jesus died to the life he lived uh, before his crucifixion, because you have to understand something. Jesus was in a body just like ours. He was sent to live in a body in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, what that means is that Jesus had the same flesh that we have, but did not have a sin nature because the sin nature was passed on from Adam, and Jesus was not a son of Adam. He was the son of God. Now, God's uh, genetic material was miraculously introduced into Mary's womb to join with Mary's genetic material and make the appropriate uh, DNA so that Jesus was born and formed as a human being. Uh, and, and that's the Psalms even say that, that uh, uh, where the, I don't recall which Psalm it is, but the Lord Jesus is speaking and saying, uh, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So God's ultimate desire was not that men and women continue to bring him bulls and goats and that their blood is offered to God. That, that was not what God wanted. He allowed it so that he could live with his people. But those sacrifices were meant to teach uh, his people what was coming. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was coming. John the Baptist is the one who called Jesus that. So anyway, um, Jesus came and uh, died for us, but of course, before he died for us, he lived in a body just like ours without a sinful nature. Uh, now, so in verse 4, Paul says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. When Jesus was born, the Bible says he was born under law. But when Jesus died, the law no longer applied to him. And by the way, Jesus fulfilled God's law so that he achieved righteous standing before our Creator. The Son of God lived as a human being, lived a sinless life, and was declared righteous through his sinless life, then died on our behalf, uh, but he was born under law. So he was subject to the law, but when he died... He was no longer subject to the law because he died. And when he was resurrected, the law no longer had any hold on him because now he was resurrected 
to a brand new life through the power of the Spirit and the old uh, way of associating with God through the law no longer uh, applied to him because he had died and now he was resurrected. And we have that privilege by being united with Christ. We have also died to the law of God and have been raised to life to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, dying to the law of God does not mean eradicating it or disregarding it in our life. That's not what is meant. What is meant is that we have died to the demands of the law so that we, if we were under the law, we could only be declared righteous before God by keeping his law perfectly. We couldn't do that. Jesus did, however. And so since we are in him, we have the privilege of standing before God as if we had never sinned because we were declared just. That's what it means to be justified. We have been declared just or righteous in God's sight. So Jesus died uh, to his old way of living, and that was being under the law. And when he was resurrected, he... uh, the law of God no longer uh, held any demand over him because he had already achieved it, and now he was resurrected to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That has happened to us. That is one of the privileges of being united with Christ, is that he died, our old life died, he was buried, our old life of sin and our tendency to sin died. He was raised to life to live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. We are raised to life to live according to the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. So the demands of God's law have been fully met in Jesus Christ, and therefore they have been fully met in us. So we stand in God's grace, and we have died to the law, and we now belong to the resurrected Jesus Christ, and we can bear fruit for God, and the law of God holds no power over us to condemn us any longer. We are declared just. We are declared righteous, not by anything we could do, but simply because we put our trust in Jesus Christ and have trusted him to be our Savior, and he has saved us. Verse 5, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. And Paul's going to be explaining this in the next few verses because um, the law of God, contrary to many people's understanding, was not given to make anyone righteous. That uh, Now, uh, Moses told the Jews, he said, whoever does these things will find life through them or will live. Um, and that was true. If anyone kept God's law perfectly, they would have eternal life. But God knew that no human being could keep his law. He didn't bring it up at that point. He simply gave them his law uh, so that they would learn how sinful they were. 
And you would be surprised to know how sinful mankind is. Um, Let me give a personal illustration, and this, I think, has a similar principle to what we're talking about here. Before I got married, and I was, you know, living on my own because I had uh, grown up to an age where I could leave the house and support myself, and I was going to college, and and uh, so on. I mean, I was free. I, I had responsibilities. I had a job and, 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 and schooling and things like that. And, and I tried to live a responsible life and earn enough money to take care of myself and, and be a, a good citizen and a functioning adult. Uh, and I met my wife and we fell in love and I couldn't be with her enough. It just, uh, I fell so deeply in love with her that I wanted to marry her and live with her the rest of my life. And immediately upon marrying her, the thought hit me, I can't just do what I want anymore. I have to consider someone else. And as we grew in our relationship over the years, and now we've been married 41 years, I discovered a lot about myself from being bound to another and that's not a bad thing to be bound to another in marriage that's it's a commitment and a vow that we give to another person and that's actually a beautiful thing god set it up to be that way but you find out a lot about yourself when you bind yourself to another person and have to consider their way of thinking their desires you want to please your spouse and and you find out that there are some things in, in in your life that get stirred up because now someone else can point out in you what you don't want to face. That's what happens with God's law. God's law comes into the life of a person who may have never heard it before, never understood it, and Paul uses the commandment that says, thou shalt not covet. And, and he said, wow, before I knew the law or understood it, he said, I was alive. He says, but the minute that the law came into my life and declared, you can't do this, then he said, all of a sudden, these uh, sinful passions aroused by that law were, you know, I got all worked up and I had all kinds of desires against God's law. And he said, basically, I died. Uh, so rather than God's law bringing spiritual life to him, he ended up experiencing death in his spirit uh, because he found out that he wasn't what he thought he was. He found out that there was a nature in him that didn't want to be told what to do, uh, didn't want to have a rule to, to have to keep And that's what God's law was given for, so that mankind could find out how sinful we really are. So let me go back to verse 5 again. For when we were in the realm of flesh, before we knew God, before we knew Jesus, when we were living in the realm of our flesh according to our own uh, selfish desires and what our bodies wanted to do, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, okay? So all of a sudden, we who were, you know, living free according to what we wanted to do, all of a sudden, uh, you know, in this case, Paul's talking to Jews, and all of a sudden, God's law comes into the mix, 
and sinful passions were aroused by that law. Thou shalt have no other God before me. You shall not make any graven image. Uh, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. And uh, apparently, Paul's Achilles heel, if you will, was coveting. Apparently, he had a problem with seeing the success in other people and perhaps even what wealth had helped them attain. And, uh, and the law said, you shall not covet. And all of a sudden, he had these passionate desires to covet because he didn't want any rule telling him how to live. And he was shaken by that. And it bothered him to see that in in his life, because he wanted to please God, but all of a sudden he found himself with desires that were opposite of God's will. So once again, when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. The deeds that came out of our sinful desires aroused by God's law, which said thou shalt not, that bore fruit for death. He goes on to say in verse 6, But now, by dying to what once bound us, the law, the law bound us and said, You are condemned because you have these desires and you, uh, you, know, you give in to them, you're basically condemned. That's what God's law says. Paul says, but now by dying to what once bound us, because if you've died, you're free from whatever law was uh, you know, applied to you in your previous life, now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, brothers and sisters, just as, just as in the previous illustration, the wife of this man was free to marry someone else when he died, even though previously when he was alive, the law said that that she was bound to him, and if she were to go belong to someone else, she would be considered an adulteress because the law had authority over her while her husband was living. When he died, all of a sudden she was released from that law, and now she could marry again. In a similar way, in our old life, we were bound under condemnation uh, directed at us because we were, you know, let's use the Ten Commandments, because we were breaking one of the Ten Commandments or several of them uh, from time to time, and so that makes us guilty, and the wages of sin is death. So basically, we're condemned to death, not because God wants to put anyone to death, and you'll find this in the Scripture. You'll find that God takes no pleasure in the death of the unrighteous? He he just doesn't. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the unrighteous. He would rather that people would repent of their sin, turn away from them, 
and he could offer them life because they were living appropriately according to his law. But the law was given so that we found out how sinful we were, and the law of God ended up bringing spiritual death into our lives. And uh, when we were living simply in the realm of our fleshly nature, then the law of God confronting us aroused sinful passions, and the deeds that came from those passions bore fruit for death. But now, in Jesus Christ, we have died to the law of God. Because he died, we died. Our old life is dead and gone. So according, as far as God's law uh, uh, condemning us and having demands upon us, uh, we've died to it. And in Christ, we've been resurrected to a brand new life so that we can belong to him and so that we can live life in the spirit. Now we have been released by the law so that we can serve God in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Praise God. So now Paul goes on to teach about the law and sin. What shall we say then? That's what he says to his Jewish listeners, Gentiles as well, but he's talking to Jews who know the law. He says, is the law sinful? Which is a reasonable question. Someone could say, well, if God's law produces sinful desires in me, is the law sinful? And Paul said, well, certainly not. God's law is not sinful. Nevertheless, he says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. None of us would really know what sin is if God had not given us his law, which said, thou shalt not. Now, all of a sudden, we discover that our human nature does not like rules that say, thou shalt not. In fact, I know pastors today, in, uh, and these are godly men. They still don't like using the word repentance because it, it, it stirs up strong feelings in them and, and things that they don't want to have to face. Uh, just because this idea of being accountable to God still confronts that, that sinful nature, that sinful human nature that exists inside our bodies next to our newly alive spirit. So Paul says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. He said, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He said, but sin, that's the sin that lives inside of every one of us. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And, and what he means by that is, if there's no law telling us what we can and can't do, sin doesn't spring to life and make, its, make itself known. We don't really see it in our lives if something is not standing against us that would cause our sin to rile up. So verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law. And what he means by that is, hey, I, 
you know, I didn't really know the law and, and I was, you know, living life, enjoying life and, and going on, you know, you know, going on my way and enjoying my existence. But then he says, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And I had to put my, my thinking cap on for a long time to grasp what he was saying here. And, and it finally came to me by God's grace and by just thinking long enough to understand that sin, just like the serpent in the garden, convinces us that what we are not wanting to do is okay and that we can disregard God's commandments. That's what the serpent said to Eve. He deceived her into thinking that she could eat of that fruit that God said, no, don't eat of that. Otherwise, you're going to die. And in this case, uh, God's law tells us, uh, like Paul said, you shall not covet. And so covetous desires welled up inside of Paul, and, and I'm sure that he wrestled with these things. But sin told him, I imagine, oh, it's okay, Paul, you know. Uh, it's understandable why you have those feelings toward your brother or your sister. You know, they really don't deserve those things. And, uh, and it's okay for you to uh, bear those strong feelings against them. And the truth is, that was breaking God's law because he said, you shall not covet. But Paul I probably was coveting. And so he said, sin deceived him. And he died. So... That's, that's what happened in uh, verse 11. For sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. Through what God gave that was holy, righteous, and good ended up being a tool that sin used to bring spiritual death in the life of Paul. And talk about an eye-opening experience. Verse 13, or forgive me, verse 12. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And it is. When God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that is a perfectly righteous and just law because he saved us, he created us, and for us to be unfaithful to him and to share our love and affection, our spiritual, our heart love with another um, divine being is an insult to our creator because there's only one creator. There are many divine beings. Just as there are many human beings, there are many divine beings that God made, the angels and spirits and, and cherubim and seraphim, and you can find all of these in the Scripture. There is an entire spiritual community filled with millions of beings, and if we give our affection and devotion and honor to any one of them besides God the Father, 
the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, if we give our love and affection to any other of those divine beings, we're insulting the only creator because God made all of them. And then he made all of us. And we have the nerve to say to our creator, you know what, I, I just want to add some other uh, God in my life because I don't want to just worship you alone. That's similar to your spouse saying to you, you know, Brad, you've been great, but, uh, you know, I want a little bit of, a little more uh, activity in my life, so I'm going to take another husband and and uh, so on and so that's first of all it, it bruises your your ego it it and it it shocks you that someone would want to share their love and devotion and and a commitment to anyone else besides you and people do that to God all the time and that's you know so God's law is righteous holy and good. But if we decide to break it, that's quite sinful. Anyway, so verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Did the good, holy, and righteous law become death? No, by no means, Paul says. It wasn't that the law became death to you. It was sin in us in order that sin might be recognized as sin, that's what Paul says, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I'll tell you what. I'm certain all of you who are listening to me have experienced this. Many of you in fact, I would venture to say all of you who are listening to me are born again, probably full of the Holy Spirit. You're doing your best to show God love and devotion and commitment. And yet from time to time, through interpersonal relationships, through people in congregations, through laws that are made in our villages or our cities or our nation, we become angry, we uh, do something against what is appropriate and right, and there will be behaviors or thoughts or words that come from us that may end up shocking us. And we find out that this devoted, committed, born-again Christian has some bad stuff inside of them. And basically, that's why God gave his law. So that people would find out how utterly sinful a human being could be. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, that which was good was used by the sin in me to show how utterly sinful I am. So, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, and here's what he says, but I 
am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Do you know Jesus said that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin? Friend, you say, but it's only a white lie. But it's only this small thing. It's, it's this, it's that, it's not that big of a deal. Guess what? If you're doing what God prohibits, you are not serving him. You're not his servant. You're sin's servant. You say, no, I'm, I, it's my own personal choice. Sorry. You may think it's your personal choice, but you are serving your own sinful desires. And so it's not you in control. It's the sinful nature in you that is your master. And you're doing what that sinful nature wants to do. Paul says that he's unspiritual. He's sold as a slave to sin. And, and that's quite a picture. None of us, I don't think any of us, have uh, really a true understanding. You know, in the United States, uh, many people will look back in their history and find slavery in their history, and, and they will study uh, the history of, of some of their loved ones, and they will find out that they were sold, bought and sold as slaves. And, and there are things about slavery that they know that many of us do not, and, and so they might see the repulsive uh, you know, nature of slavery that, that their ancestors were sold to other human beings to serve as slaves. And here Paul says that people being unspiritual are basically sold to sin as slaves. What kind of a, you know, what kind of a life does a slave have? They have no rights of their own. They're uh, controlled by the whim of their slave master. They can't stop what is happening to them. They're powerless. And Paul is trying to get that idea across here to people that that even though God's law and, and God himself is spiritual, holy, righteous, and good, humanity is basically filled with slaves. We're slaves to sin. Paul goes on to say, I do not understand what I do. Now, here's a guy that wanted to please God. He wanted to keep his law. He wanted to obey him. But he comes out and says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Does that sound familiar? How many of us have said, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop this uh, because that's not how I want to live my life. I, I want to be you know, pray more. I want to, uh, you know, witness more. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, but actually when it comes, those not, those things aren't necessarily, uh, sinful to not do them. But, uh, basically <clears throat> with regards to God's commands, Paul is saying what I want to do, I do not do. He says, but what I hate, that's what I do. Doesn't that stir up your frustration and your angst inside 
when you have all these good intentions to please God and to make him happy, and not that long after you find yourself doing something that you're ashamed of, and you basically bury your face in your hands and you say, what am I doing I want to do what is good, but I just did something that I hate. Paul goes on in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, and I want to want to make sure you understand this. He just said that as an unspiritual being, sold as a slave to sin, and, and he's including himself here, he's talking about himself, a man born again. He's talking about this type of a struggle. He says, I do not understand what I do. For I want to do, uh, for what I want to do, I don't do. He said, but what I hate, I do. Then he goes on to say, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And you you have to think about that for a minute to get it. Because basically, if you end up doing something that you hate yourself for doing, it means that you did not want to do that. Rather, you wanted to do what was right. Then by that thinking and your action, you're actually agreeing that God's law is good because you wanted to do that. And so God's law is good. Verse 17. As it is, Paul says, it is no longer I myself who do it. And here's something that you have to understand, because it's, you know, when it comes to personal accountability and personal responsibility, generally decent people want to take responsibility for their actions. But Paul is pointing out something here that is true. And you can accept this in your life. Paul says once again, verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the sinful behavior that he hated himself for. He said, As it is, verse 17, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And then he says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. And he says, that is in my sinful nature. And brothers, this this may be hard for you to accept. But even as a born-again, blood-washed, Spirit-filled child of God with a, a living spirit and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is in you. You still have a sinful nature living in the same body. You might say, why? I thought that died. No, your old self died. This is not you. This is a sinful nature in your flesh. And you say, well, it's in my body, so it's got to be me. You have a mind. 
You have a spirit and you have a soul. Your soul or your, you know, your mind, will, and emotions tends to be tied to your body and its desires. Your spirit is not part of your body. Your spirit is actually tied to uh, you, you as a, an individual, you as a person, if you will, uh, and, and, and your mind. You know, I, I've got to be careful here because Paul did say that with his mind, he served the law of God. And, and so this, it's not a real easy concept to grasp, but I want you to, I want you to bear in mind that according to Scripture, you have two natures. You've got the new you who is born again, who has a desire to please God, who wants to keep all of God's laws, who wants to do what pleases him, and you have a fleshly nature, which I think the Bible here calls a sinful nature, which wants to abuse, uh, you know, sex, which wants to abuse, uh, say, alcohol, which wants to abuse uh, your relationships, which wants to, you know, that's what your flesh wants. Your flesh does not want to please God, but you in your born again state do want to please God. And you'll find this concept in the New Testament that the spirit lusts against the flesh. That's, that's the way the, the scripture says it. And, and lust is really a strong desire. It's not, it doesn't automatically mean sex. Lust is a strong desire. So when the Bible says the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit, it means that those two natures inside of you are opposite in their desires. And they fight with one another. And sometimes the flesh wins. And uh, the way some people put it is, whichever nature you feed the most is the one that's going to become the strongest. And I think that's there's some some great you know uh, ideas right there that whichever nature you feed the most is going to end up being the strongest and the one that rules your life. So here we go. Paul says that he's unspiritual as a you know. In his flesh, he's unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He doesn't understand what he does because he wants to do what's right, but he, he, he does what he hates. He says, and, and then I find out that, you know, when, as I think about it, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, then it's not really me doing it. And you say, isn't that just an excuse? No, you need to pay attention to the scripture here. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. In your sinful nature, there is no good. And, and because the acts of the flesh are obvious, according to Paul. You know, the acts of the flesh are, you know, overindulgence in, uh, in things that uh, cause you to sin. Uh, sins of anger and hate. Sins of sexual immorality. All of those are in your sinful nature. Those are the deeds of, that are motivated by your flesh. And then Paul goes on to say, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, 
but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, pay attention here, this might knock your socks off. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Friend, can you accept that? Can you accept the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired his apostle to tell us that sin motivates wickedness in our lives? That, and, and, and we're talking about people who are born again, born of the Spirit. We're not talking about people who don't have uh, a born-again spirit. Because if a person does not have a born-again spirit, there is, no, there is no spirit in them to desire to do what is good. All they have is flesh. And, uh, and so that's, that tends to be their major motivator in their life is their flesh. But people who are born again, who have the Spirit of God in them, who may be filled with the Holy Spirit, they still have a sinful nature living in their body with them. And when you have these strong desires to commit sin and you fail by giving into it, Paul says it's not you who is doing it. It is sin. Well, Brad, are you saying that, that I can say to myself, well, this isn't me, this is sin, and therefore I have no accountability? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you need to understand something, that when you sincerely desire to do what is good and you find yourself failing and doing what you hate, that's not something that the new you has desired to do. That is the sin inside your body that has gotten the better of you, if you will. And uh, you lost that battle. And uh, your sin uh, produced behavior that you hate. That's not you. That's sin. And you will have a battle with your flesh throughout your life and I believe that, you know, the Spirit of God in you will give you the power to put those deeds to death. The, the Bible calls them misdeeds. Um, so I believe you'll have the, the power to put them to death, but you'll find yourself losing that battle from time to time. And you might think, what is wrong with me? And the Scripture here tells us what's happening. It says it is sin in you that is doing this. You don't want to do it but it's sin. And you say, well, is that an excuse? Has any of this scripture indicated that this is an excuse? No, it's not indicating that it is an excuse. It is simply telling you what's happening. This is not what you yourself want. This is what sin in you wants. So verse 21, so I find this law, this principle at work. This is what he said. He finds this principle at work in him. 
which I believe we can say is at work in every born-again believer. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. And you'll find that as a born-again, spirit-filled child of God, your heart wants to please God. You want to do what God wants you to do. But, verse 23, I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And, and this, this is, this is a, a frustrating thing for a child of God. And, and this is why we are waiting for our final adoption, because our final adoption by the Lord will mean getting rid of this old decaying body that has a sinful nature in it and being clothed with our new spiritual body that is only flesh and bone. It doesn't have blood in it anymore. It will be alive by the Spirit of God. We won't have a sinful nature in us anymore. We will be brand new, you know, emanating the glory of God, shining like the sun, the Bible says, and we'll be uh, following our Father in heaven will be walking with the Lord Jesus, will be part of his worldwide government during the millennium, and just so many neat things that are coming. But right now, we have to face this war that takes place inside of us. <clears throat> and that war is a war between our spiritual man and our fleshly man. Okay. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Here's where Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And, and this is something that I happen to believe every child of God experiences. As they battle with their sinful nature, they say, God, what is wrong with me? I want to do what is good, but I end up doing these things I hate. I'm what a wretched man I am. I'm so sorry. And and the apostle said the same thing. And he says, who will rescue me from this body? Who will rescue me from this body? And and you can you can say this sinful nature in me is my enemy. God, help me to defeat this sinful nature. And in verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, he says, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. And you'll find that in yourself too, in your mind, in your heart. You are a slave to God's law. You want to do what is right in his sight. But, Paul says, in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Brothers and sisters, there's hope. There's hope for us. And when we get into chapter 8, it begins with such a tremendous note of hope 
that uh, you're going to be absolutely free from any of this frustration that you're facing from chapter seven. I'm, I'm not going to get into it right now. It's going to be in the next, and, and it needs to be that message of hope that comes to the people of God who are wanting to do what's right, but they find themselves doing things they hate. They go to God for forgiveness. And I remember hearing about uh, men and women of God who chose a monastic lifestyle and they found themselves struggling with uh, sexual desire, found themselves struggling with maybe drunkenness, and, and they would they would end up beating themselves with whips that they made, uh, trying to atone for their sin because they felt such guilt. And I'm certain that you felt similar guilt. Just remember that you have a sinful nature in you that is at war with the Spirit of God and your, your commitment to the Lord in your mind. Remember that in your mind you are a slave to God and His law, but in your sinful nature you're a slave to the law of sin. Keep hope, my brother, because Jesus has set us free and he keeps us protected. Father, bless my brothers and sisters who have listened to this podcast. May they find freedom from this struggle and find peace so they can serve you and bear fruit of righteousness. We, we praise you for this hope in Jesus Christ and thank you for what you've done for us. God bless you, my friend, and we'll see you soon with chapter 8 of the Letter to the Romans. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within his presence I speak Jesus